Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. So I wanted to, to hit on that. Uh, baptism is a big deal. <laughs> it's a really, really big deal um, as, as that video portrayed, right? It does life and death. I mean, let's be honest. Um, and so sometimes maybe we understate baptism because we overstate, which we should in the sense of, well, baptism doesn't save you. You know, it's by faith you are saved by God's grace. It's not by any works so that no one can boast. So it's, a, you know, it's that grace gift of salvation However, as you read the Bible, you see that baptism is not like optional. (laughs) It just isn't. There's nowhere you see in Scripture that it's an optional thing if you're a follower of Christ. It is a huge, I'm going to say it really slow, huge step of obedience, okay? And that last word is critical, obedience. If we are a follower of Christ and and we say he's the CEO of our life, And we read in the Bible that it says then baptism, you repent and you're baptized. That baptize is outward expression of inward decision. Jesus himself was baptized, you know, by John the Baptist. If he's our leader and we're not taking that step, then we're not living in obedience. I'm not trying to bash, I'm just stating a fact. And so I get it if that makes you really scared to get baptized or really nervous or all the other emotions, and you're like, dude, just move on, because I'd rather talk about, well, I don't know, when you hear the topic I'm teaching on today, you might want me to come back to baptism, but we'll get that in a second. Um, it is a big deal. I remember uh, being in my early 20s, and I had not been baptized. I'd said yes to Jesus before the summer of my eighth grade year of school at a camp, but I just knew that I knew. Same deal. I was sitting there. I had been putting it off. I, had, I was like, I don't want to get in front of anyone. And of course, God said, that's the whole point. <laughs> the whole point is to say that publicly that I'm on God's team, that he's the leader of my life. And there's so much power, not in the baptism itself, although I believe there is some of that, but in the testimony, just as that one song, our testimony to other people. So here's the bottom line. We have baptisms coming up on April 24th. We have a baptism class coming up on the first Saturday in March. I think it's March 5th, so it's coming up pretty quick. Uh, We would love for you, if you've never been baptized, to go to that class. Learn more. I'm obviously not going to do a whole class on it right now, so learn more. Uh, Learn, you know, start writing your story. The Gibbonies lead that, and they're amazing. They will help you understand it more and what it is and what it isn't and and help you write your story. Parents of, of of kids and, and teenagers start having that conversation. I know in Alpha, you're going to be having that conversation. Um, like any step of obedience, and I'll leave it with this, like any step of obedience, you will never regret it, <laughs> right? 
we're never promised that obedience is going to be easy, right? That's the whole point of trusting the Father, like we just sang. Uh, but you'll never regret it. Any one of us, it's one of those spiritual markers, one of those in our relationship with God. We, we, you never forget when you're baptized. I don't think, I've never run into someone saying, you know what, I don't remember. Less, I mean, I understand infant baptism, and we can talk about that, but if you've been baptized, you don't forget that. And so just encourage you, if you're interested or want to learn more, mark the back to the connection card, check baptism or write baptism, put it in one of our joy boxes, reach out to one of us. We want to help you on that faith journey. So a pastor was, um, he was an old pastor and, and he was realizing that he was not quite as relevant as he wanted to be. And he had seen these other pastors preaching sermons on topics, you know, that were just kind of like everyday life stuff. And he thought, you know what, I need to start being cooler. I can't be younger, but I can be cooler. And so he had just recently taken up water skiing. And so he got thinking, he was like, you know what, I wanna, I'm going to preach a sermon on water skiing. I can come up with three great points of how water skiing applies to biblical life and how it applies to faith and all this stuff. And so she, he runs this idea by his wife. And his wife says to him, don't you dare do that. Don't you dare try to be, no, no, that's not. And she goes, in fact, if you go and preach a sermon next week on that topic, I will not come to church. I'm not going to come. And so he's wrestling with it, but he still tells her that, you know, as Saturday approaches, I'm still running with it. So she's like, I'm staying home. So he lived about a mile away from the church, and a lot of Sundays he would walk to church. And as he's walking to church, he, it, the Spirit kind of speaks to him and, and nudges him because he's been working on this, on this um, sermon, if you will, on sex for a, for a conference that he's going to be speaking at in a few weeks. And the Spirit nudges him and says, today's the day to preach on sex. Take the notes and you can maybe refine it for this presentation. So sure enough, he follows, and just like I said, he, about baptism, he obeys the Spirit, and he gets to church, and he gives probably the best sermon ever on the topic of sex and sexuality. I mean, absolutely, I mean, he just hit a home run, people are talking about it, I mean, lives are being changed. And so a few days later, a few of the ladies in the church bump into the pastor's wife at the supermarket. And they're just raving about this sermon. They're like, your husband preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard. He was just so scripturally sound. He was just so, his, everything just was great. And they're like, well, you know what? We missed you on Sunday. Were you sick or something? And she said, no, I was not sick. She, told, she said, I told him, if he preaches on that topic, if he preaches on a topic that he knows nothing about, I'm not coming to church. In fact, a second, not only does he know nothing about it, it's a topic that he's only done once before marriage and once after we've been married. And I t <laughs> told him I would not come. When you teach on sex, you better break the ice really early. Now, if you're new with us today, this is not something that we talk about all the time. In fact, I was thinking about this as I was kind of reflecting the last couple of weeks on what to preach this week. It's probably been about five years since I've taught on the topic. In fact, I think a lot of churches, maybe some of you have been in church for decades and you've never heard a sermon on this. That's probably not a good thing because it's a big issue. I have some suspicions why us pastors don't preach on it. I think some of it is it's not the easiest topic to get in front of people and talk about. My mom's probably watching today. Hi. 
I think the last time, actually five years ago, I talked about my mother-in-law was in town, so that was interesting. But um, I think all, I think just to be ruthlessly honest, I think a lot of pastors probably struggle like anyone else with different areas of this. And so there's just a feeling of not being adequate, if you will. But I want to start with an overarching question. Has sex outside of marriage, and, not, and I'm including pornography, lust, our thought life, has sex outside of marriage made your life more complicated or better in any of those realms? The physical act of sex outside or pornography or lust or your thought life, has, has, has taking it outside of any of those parameters made your life better or has it made it more complicated? If more complicated for you or for a family member or for someone else that you know, then I think it's important we lean into this, right? I think it's important that we talk about this. We live in a culture that we've had more, we have more information available about sex than you can imagine, but less insight. We live in a culture where we're stuffed with all kinds of how-to information, but we're starved for wholeness in this arena. Now, last week I preached on wisdom. If you're new with us, we typically do series, and we're going to be starting a new series after Football Sunday, a two-week series, and then we're going to go into a a Money Madness series on finances and and generosity in March. But the last two weeks, this week and last week, were just kind of standalone sermons. And so last week I I preached on on wisdom, and if you you missed that, I encourage you to check it out, because I know I've been applying it a lot to my life, right? We all need wisdom, and we're looking at the book of Proverbs. And so I would say about two weeks ago, I was, this is just, God speaks to us all kinds of places, I was actually prepping that series and listening while I was working out or whatever I do at the gym, I more just walk around, but, uh, and see other people working out, like, that's what, that could be my result, but it seems like a lot of work. Um, and I'm listening to, uh, on my phone, the Bible app, the Version Bible app, we talk about a lot, and I, I had my earbuds in, and, and I realized in Proverbs that there's a lot of Proverbs talking about sex, <laughs> and a lot of Proverbs talking about sexuality. And so it was kind of in those moments, I'm like, you know, that's where I felt where we needed to go today. So it, ironically, or, you know, it does kind of go back to last week where there's, we need wisdom, don't we? <laughs> we need wisdom in this arena. Parents, right, as we navigate this with our children, and my goodness, right, you see the things out, you hear the things. My children are young. Some of you have young children. We're thinking, wow, I don't know if I want them to get older. And some of you have them that are teenagers and you're like, I don't know what to do, right? I mean, this, because there's so many things being thrown. There's so, so much mess, right? There's so much craziness in this area. So why do we need God's wisdom on this heavier topic? Well, it's pretty straightforward. God created sex. God's for it. God designed it. And the one who designs it knows best how to use it. The one who designed it knows how best the context and knows how it could get outside the parameters. And so, what should we do when God created something and he knows the most about it? We should go to the owner's manual on the topic. Now, the owner's manual is not some book in the bookstore. The owner's manual is definitely not some podcast or whatever. This is our owner's manual on the topic. And today we're going to go back actually to the beginning. It's in the beginning where God lays the framework for sex and sexuality. So picture this in your mind. This would be a Netflix 
original series. This would be one we'd all watch. This is where the heavenly the angels are there, and, and the, the creation hasn't happened. It's dark. So envision this. It's all dark. All they've known is darkness. And so the camera on this special is panoramic, you know, a 360 view going everywhere. And you're seeing the heavenly host and the angels and all this darkness. And there's this anticipation building. God has said something's going to be up. Something's going to be happening here. And as you're watching this special on your TV, all of a sudden God says these words. And let there be light. And boom, for the first time. Can you imagine being there and witnessing this for the first time? You're now watching this. This is a new Netflix series that's out. I don't call it what you want, okay? Boom, there it's out. And light for the first time in the awe, the, you know, and then he starts saying, and let there be sea. And boom, the camera, water, no one's seen, and water appears, no one's seen this. And he says, let there be land. And I mean, you're just now on the edge of your seat. And you know, and you're watching these people, you're watching the angels, you're watching the Trinity, and, and, and I mean, it's, it's the creation, right? And he keeps saying this, and he says, let there be animals, let there be fish, let, and it's just awe-inspiring. I mean, you're riveted. Every single person's riveted. No one would want to take their eyes off of this. And he keeps creating, and he keeps creating, and then he creates man. And he's been saying all along, it's good. And all of a sudden, you hear these words from him. It is not good. And the, the TV just freezes. The scene freezes. If angels had jaws, maybe they, I don't know if they do, okay. But they drop. And there's this silence. There's this deafening silence going on. And there's this muttering that starts to appear of how can it not be good? Look around. Mountains, majesty, oceans, animals. How can it not be good? And he says this in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. And the Lord God said, it is not good. It's not good what? For the man to be what? Alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So all the animals are brought before Adam. And Adam names them all, but none of the animals are suitable helpers for him. And then what we see recorded in Scripture, I don't know if you ever looked at it this way, but we actually get to see the first surgery. Did you know that? The first surgery appears in Scripture, and here's how it goes. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And I put in my notes, in all creation, there's no one else like Adam. There's no one compatible. There's no partner to help him fulfill God's purposes. So the Lord God caused a man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Back to our Netflix original. The camera is now sweeping over. You see all the foliage. You see the trees. You see all the beautiful fruit on the trees. You see the animals roaming around. You see the monkeys because monkeys are just awesome. I always wanted one as a kid. My mom would never let me have one. Okay? I'm still working on my wife. But the monkeys would go from tree to tree. And then out of nowhere, she appears. Out of the foliage, she appears. 
And it says in Genesis 1.22 that the Lord God made the woman from the rib and brought her to the man. We, we think that this, the great sexual awakening happened in the 1960s or that it's happening right now. I would argue that it happened on the sixth day of creation. <laughs> because we see it says the Lord brought her to the man. By the way, I don't know if you know this. Is, this is where in, the, in a wedding ceremony that we get that the father brings the bride to the groom. It originated. So don't tell me that God's not involved in this. That's where it comes from is from that passage in 22. God brought her to the man. Now, can you imagine this scene? God creates this woman. It tells us that she's not close. She's naked. She steps through the ferns, and she stands in front of Adam for the very first time, and he's speechless. And then we see his first words. In fact, the original Hebrew language is such an emotion-filled language. We don't do it justice when we translate because we don't think that way. We don't talk that way. We don't have in, in our Western culture. But he says this. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Here's Mark's translation. When he saw this woman naked stepping in front of him, he said, yabba dabba doo. <laughs> in fact, Adam could have literally said, she is the only woman for me. There you go. There's my corny joke of the day. You see, while this was a moment of excitement, an insurmountable joy because God had created this partner, the fulfillment of everything this, that, that God, that was not good. Remember, it was not good for man to be alone. Don't miss it. Beyond that, this was a sacred and holy moment. This is a sacred and holy moment because the words Adam uses are not incidental. The words Adam uses are actually words of covenant, when he says, she is part of me, my bone, my flesh, I give my life to her in total commitment. Nothing will take us apart. And in fact, as a covenant worked, any covenant, they understood covenant, as any covenant in human history worked, if I break this covenant, may I die like this animal died. That's how covenants worked. Of course, Jesus was the final fulfillment, the final of the new covenant. If I break this covenant... May I pay with my life? She called, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Like, like any covenant, they share a new identity. That's what happens. We see that all throughout Scripture. When you give your life to Jesus, you have a new identity. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us, 2 Corinthians tells us that the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. And so this idea of identity, of covenant, covenant is relationship. It's all throughout the scripture. It's intertwined them with kingdom or responsibility. But we see in this covenant that there's a new identity. They possess each other. All that he has is hers. All that she has is his. And then it goes on in verse 22, and this is so critical. Again, we're going back to the owner's manual. Not what culture tells us, not what other people tell us, not what we wish was true, but what is truth. There is only one absolute and truth. It says, for this woman, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will what? 
become one flesh. People always have different ideas of if I ask them, what's the purpose of marriage? What's the meaning of marriage? And we get all these different things to be complete, which is not true. If you're not complete by yourself in Christ, no person's going to make you complete. That is an unrealistic goal to have on any spouse. And I always, when I do premarital counseling with people, if that's your mentality, let's hit a pause button, let's hit a timeout, okay? And let's, let's break, you know, let's take, let's stop, <laughs> Because that is so unfair, and there's so many marriages out there right now that you thought the other person would complete you, fulfill you. Hey, folks, the only person who will do that is Jesus Christ. That is the most unfair, unrealistic thing to ever put on someone else, but it's because they can't do that. They will always let you down, it will, it will, it, not because of anything, but because we're human. But he says here, they will become one flesh. Now, this is God's declaration. This isn't Adam saying this. This is God saying they will become one. The purpose of marriage, the goal of marriage is one word, and it's oneness. That's why it says other times in Scripture, and we talk to our teenagers about this, and parents, I would encourage you to talk to your teenager. I get how hard it is because you know, emotions and hormones and all those other crazy things. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked. In other words, not even don't marry someone who's not following after Jesus, but don't date them. Don't think about dating them. Don't even go out on one date. I don't care how hot he is or how studly he is or whatever the term we use now or, or, or how good looking she is or, or that she's the perfect person and, and he's, you know, the knight in shining armor. It doesn't matter because you will never be one. It's simple. What is that? Um, algebra, not algebra, but simple math, right? Okay. Two lines going opposite directions will not. What? They'll never intersect. The, the whole purpose of marriage is oneness. God said it, not me. If you don't like it, take it up with him. Good luck with that. He says that the man and woman are become one because that's the purpose of marriage. And part of that oneness is the physical union together of the two becoming one through sex. In fact, when it says one flesh, the word in the Hebrew is tabak, D-A-B-A-Q, tabak, tabak. And it literally means to glue to or adhere, okay? Now you can see when it says that the two will become one flesh, and it means that you are glued together. It's a covenant thing again. You can see why the pain of sex outside of marriage or sex before marriage, or even pornography, or lust, that it hurts, right? And it's painful. Because oneness glues you together. And I'll get, we're going to have good news on this, by the way, as we unfold. So you see, sex is a celebration of that covenant oneness. That's what sex is. Sex is a celebration of the covenant oneness. God created sex. He's all for it in the design that he created, a man and a woman coming together in the context of a marriage. Anything that gets outside of this, I know it's not popular, I understand that, but I'm not, never was popular, why start with, at this age, okay? I, I understand there's a lot of confusion, I understand there's a lot of personal feelings, I understand there's a lot of whatever, and we're all affecting different. Here's the deal with God. And here's the deal with what God puts in place. Even the laws of the Old Testament. Everyone says that the law, you know, that the law was bad. And now we have the new covenant. It's good. No, everything God put in place was for our good and for our protection. Even the law, even that's. And so, when we take things outside of His design, it's going to lead to confusion. And I don't care where you are on your faith journey today, or where you fall in line, or agree, or disagree with me. 
I think we can all agree that there's a lot of confusion about sex, <laughs> right? There's a lot of, I mean, I think all of us maybe at some point, we read something, we're like, that just confused me. I thought, it, you know, right? I mean, it's an area we have to address. See, they're bonded together, and through that sexual relationship, they become one, right? You're glued together. You're now bonded. You are now one. It says this in verse 25, which is fascinating. It says, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt what? This is huge. No shame. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. We, anyone ever deal with any shame when it comes to this area? I'll just raise my hand for you, okay? Right? Guilt. A bad level of vulnerability. Right? I mean, there's so many people. I talk to so many people that are carrying shame in this arena. Shame on us pastors for not addressing it, to be honest with you. I'm not saying maybe more do than I do. Maybe shame on me for not talking about it more. <laughs> Because there's so many of us holding, it just is weighing us down. There's guilt. But what we see here is the part, step one of good news. In the way God designed it, there is no shame. Using it, this gift, as I'll talk about later, the way God intended it to do or to be used, has no shame. Why would God create something good? They would have shame. As I said, the, the other thing with sex is it's a wonderful, sacred gift from God. I don't know if you ever thought about this, about sex before. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. Okay, this is where I just get real. Sex is good. Let's just be straight up, okay? Sex is good. God created it. It's his design. In fact, he tells us in Scripture, be, be fruitful and multiply, it's in your Bible too. Here's what he means, Mark's translation. In the context of how I created sex, go have it and have a lot of it, okay? Be fruitful and multiply. Sometimes we get a little prudy on this topic, don't we? There's a lot of nervousness in this room. That's awesome, okay? It's all right. Remember my joke at the, that story at the beginning. It's funny. Why it's a gift. I wrote down a few reasons why I think it's a gift. The first is just simple pragmatic for procreation. It's a gift that he gave us to have, more, have children, to fill this land, to have more people who could follow after Jesus. And of course, he created it for a man and a woman to enjoy this sex and procreate together. Now, this one might make you really uneasy, but you'll live with it, okay? The other reason it's a gift, that's just to be straight up. It's for pleasure. God gives us this gift to be... Now, you might think it's kind of odd that I say that, but the truth is... I believe that was on God's mind when he gave us sex and sexuality, is to use this for pleasure, for good, for good. Now, some of you walked in today and you thought God was boring, <laughs> right? That might have flipped that one up on you, like God's just a stoic, boring. And I, this pastor just said that God created sex and he said it's a good thing, it's pleasure. Now that's making you scratch your head a little bit. Can, can you imagine God, this is, this be straight, God, bringing, standing Adam there, and he brings out Eve naked, and he says to Adam, you can look, but you can't touch, right? I mean, right? I mean, God, he went, he's, he's given us this gift for our goodness to be used in the right way. 
for pleasure. In fact, I didn't come up with this on my own. Go back to Proverbs here, Proverbs 5. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and be ravished always with her love. Ravished with her love. And you thought the Bible was lame. The third reason is knowing your spouse. One of the things with sexual sexuality is to know each other. The word actually in the Hebrew is yada, Y-A-D-A. And when we talk, when God even says about knowing him, God wants us to know him in an intimate way, in this yada way. He wants us to, it's not just, oh, he's cosmic up there and we're down here. And so when we talk about, Scripture talks about to know each other. It's in this intimate way that you're bonded together. The fourth way is this, the spiritual dimension. We're not just human beings with bodies. We have souls too. And there's something fascinating about, about how God designed sex and sexuality. That when you come together physically with someone, it's beyond just the physical in fact, the physical is tied together with the soul. And there's this deeper connection. Now, I think all of us kind of know that, right? We know it if, you did, if you've had sex in the context of marriage, that it's, it's more than just the physical. See, our culture has just said that sex is physical, right? It's just about the act. It's just about the, all these other things. We've, we've centralized it. We, we've, we've really kind of torn it apart, to be honest. And when you look at how God designed it, when you look at the context of how he created it, he's saying that our bodies and our souls are really deeply connected to each other. You can't separate out your body from your soul. In other words, what happens with our body happens with our soul. And so in that sense then, sex has a spiritual dimension. Let's just be real, right? right? Sex has a spiritual dimension. I found this quote. And this isn't from the Bible. It said, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? That's actually from a movie, Vanilla Sky. Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? That's truth. When we engage with someone sexually... It's so much deeper than the physical. We, there's, there's that intimacy. We're, we're touching someone's soul, Scripture would tell us, that it's that intimate. It's that real. That's why God is so blunt about saying it's reserved for a husband and wife in the context of marriage. Because he knows that how he designed it. And he knows that if used in the way that he designed it, it is sacred, it is special, and it can create more oneness in a relationship, in a marital relationship, than you can ever imagine. But like any gift, we can trash it, can't we? We can misuse it. And when that happens, because this is the only thing you see where the two become one, it's the only time he talks about that in the covenant of two human beings, and that they're glued together, that when it's used outside of the context that he designed it, it's going to create pain, right? It's going to create hurt. It says in Ephesians 2, this is something that ran through the whole Bible. It says, the two will become one flesh. And then Paul went on to say, this is a profound mystery. So I want to end with, the, and we have a few more minutes, but I want to, this point, I want to camp on this point because right now I've kind of laid the foundation and framework 
But I think a lot of, we all have stories, right, in this area. We all have histories in this area. I think many of us probably have regret in this area. I think pain, hurt. You see, sex is a sacred, personal, intimate gift. But since sin entered the picture, it's also a fragile gift. The Bible tells us when you use this gift any way other than God intended it, you walk down a road where there'll be wounds, there's going to be guilt, there's going to be regret, there's going to be damaged families, there's going to be hurt children, shattered friendships, broken marriages, broken bodies, broken emotions, broken spirits, and seared consciences. I'm just going to be blunt. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. We have to address this. We have to talk because I'm sure all of us could say in one of the, we've, we've had some wounds in this arena. We've had some guilt. We've had some regret. It can, we all know it damages families. It can hurt children. And the list goes on and on. And the reality is, yeah, this beautiful, sacred gift has been trashed. And it's all because I think we fail to realize that it's a fragile gift. It is. It's a gift that can, gift that can be easily damaged. Because we don't hold it to its sacred level. We think, well, it's okay to, it's my thought life. It's no big deal. I didn't actually act on it. Oh, I'm just looking them up and down. It's not a big deal. Oh, I'm just clicking stuff on a computer screen. That's no big deal. It's just on my phone. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a big deal, right? Because it's breaking that gift. And I think we rationalize, right? We, we come up with all these different reasons. But then we know that we don't feel whole afterwards. Even the lens I just mentioned, they're like, well, I didn't actually have sex. Well, but how do you have guilt then afterwards? Why do you feel shame? Why do you say, I don't, I'm not going to do that again? It's because we've misused the gift. We're not treating it the way he intended. Now, you might say to me today, Mark, I didn't, I haven't really protected this gift. Mark, I've misused it. I've had an affair. I'm not married and, I, and I'm having sex outside of marriage. I'm watching things I shouldn't be watching. I know I shouldn't. I'm thinking things I know I shouldn't. I'm, my eyes aren't staying where they need to be. The list goes on. Here's the good news. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. Every one of us in this room, I always tell people, especially when I'm meeting with them one-on-one, when it comes to sexual and sexuality, you look at a scale from one to 10, and we're all somewhere on that continuum of, of healing, right? And, and using the gift as God designed it. You can't separate, it's God's telling you, you can't separate this area out of your life because it's part of how God designed it. Sometimes I think we just want to like separate it out. Well, you know, I don't have to deal with it. No, you got to deal with it. <laughs> It's going to be a part of your life as long as you're living. I've talked to 90-year-old guys, and, they don't, and they'll share about some of their struggle. I'm like, sheesh, where's the hope, right? You know, 
God's grace is sufficient. When he says it's sufficient, God's forgiveness doesn't stop when it comes to sex and sexuality. I think we sometimes, because we, we stumble in this area so much, we fail in this area, that we think this is the one place where God's grace kind of can't take care of this. Or you know your history, you know your past, you're like, it's just too messed up. God can't forgive that. Since when does God's forgiveness fall short when it comes to sex, but everything else is good to go? That's a lie from Satan himself. You think Satan wants you to feel beat down in this area? Do you think Satan wants you to feel like a failure in this area? You better believe it. Because if he can really distort and mess you up and, feel, and just have you trapped, you're not going to have the relationships that God desires. You're not going to have the marriage God desires. You're not going to have the future marriage, if you're not married, that God desires. Don't buy his lie. Here's the reality. Throughout all human history, there have been, I would venture to say, hundreds of millions of people who have come to God with different sexual histories, different sexual stories, different sexual failures, and they've come to Jesus with all that dysfunction, with all those things, with all those sins. And Jesus has never turned one away. He's never given up on anyone. And he's not going to start with you. You see, Jesus died on a cross to take away all our sin. And all your sin includes our sexual sin. It includes that area that we so desperately need healing. And Jesus is alive today as we're going to celebrate communion in just a minute and he wants to heal you today. As you can imagine, um, this isn't the easiest topic to tackle. As you can imagine, it weighed on me a lot. <laughs> as you can imagine, it messes with your sleep a little bit. But man, I don't know about you, but when we are singing those songs today, we always invite the Holy Spirit into this place. And if you're with us online, he's there too. And I felt his presence here like I haven't felt in a long time. I'll be honest. I mean, it's here. I've always felt him, but it was extra special. I think the Spirit knew, obviously, what I was going to talk about today. And I've been praying a lot that today would be a day that you go to the Father. We're going to sing that song. We're going to actually receive communion. You can go ahead and get your cups out. Raise your hand if you didn't get one. We'll get one to you. If you're at home with us, we would encourage you to receive that. The band will just wait till start praying to come up because I really want everyone's attention with this. I would venture to say there's some of us, maybe a lot of us today, and this, this is just reality, that we have some hangups in this area. We have some guilt. We have some shame. And here's the good news. I've been praying a lot this way. That today is the day that he's going to bring healing. Today's the day. He already knows, by the way, you're not hiding anything from him, but that you lay it in front of him. Maybe for some of you today, I know we have a lot of young people here, young adults. Today's the day that you make a covenant with the Father that you're going to keep yourself pure and wait for that person. Maybe today's the day that for the first, you just haven't, you know that God's forgiven you, 
but you can't forgive yourself. And today's the day that he brings that healing. There's some of you watching, some of you here that you, want to, you need to intercede for someone. It's a child. It's a friend. It's someone else that you know is making the best decisions in this area. And you know, you know it's going to lead to different things, regret and all those things because we've been there. And you intercede today for them that the Father would collide with them, that they would hunger after him. They would hunger after righteousness. They would hunger after what he wants. Because when we receive communion, we're not going to receive it now. I'm going to preside over it. And then I'm going to pray. And then the band's going to lead us in this song. I'm going to read a few lyrics of it here in a little bit. But you receive it when you're ready. But I was thinking about when Jesus was with his disciples and at that last supper and he was, took out the bread and he said, this represents my body, it's going to be broken. And when he held up the cup of wine and he said, this represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. He knew where he was going. He knew why this Passover was going to be different because he was going to walk on this hill we call Calvary with a cross over his shoulders. And once and for all, he was going to deal with this sin thing. Once and for all, no more time, no more animals dying, no more priests going into the temple yearly. He was going to be the substitute for me and for you. He was going to be the atonement for the sin so that we could be in right standing with God by receiving the gift of salvation. And his blood was shed and he was reminding them and reminding us now when we receive communion, a covenant, or excuse me, a a sacrament, one of the sacred, that means sacred, one of the sacred things we do, that baptism, one of the sacred things we do, that he wants us to remember that the cross represents healing. In fact, I was uh, sitting in my office this morning just putting this sermon more into my head. Isaiah 53 came to mind. 53 verse 5 said, And by his stripes we will be healed. It's not talking about physical healing in that passage. It's talking about the sin problem. And by his death on that cross and his resurrection defeating death, we can get healing for all our sin, including our sexual sin. I'm going to pray. There's no embarrassment in this. There's no, come light a candle if you're struggling with sex. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. That's, 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 that's stupid. I say I had to lighten it up a little. It's getting a little heavy. This is the chance to just be raw with the Father. It's to seek forgiveness, maybe, or repentance. It's a time to ask him if you've received healing to continue for his spirit to give you the power in this area because we all need it. It's a time for you to intercede for a child or a grandchild or for a neighbor, for a spouse, for a parent even. And then this song that we're going we're gonna to bring back a song we sang earlier, Run to the Father. I wrote down some lyrics that are so fitting. We come to the cross for healing. It's an invitation to let it all go. 
lay it down, fall into his grace. I run to the Father. I'm done with the hiding. Your mercy is calling out. I need you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need you. We want you. We want to experience the wholeness that only you can provide. We're done with the shame in this arena. It's not how you designed it to be. In fact, you tell us you designed it to be a sacred gift. You designed it to be special. You designed it to bring healing and wholeness and all the things that have become warped about it. And so God, as we just sit before your feet today, I pray that you would wash away the shame and you would fill it in with your healing. God, that you would renew our minds, that you would drive out the darkness in our heart, in our minds, in our eyes, and you would bring light. And God, that we would claim the victory that we already have over sin, the victory we already have over death and the things that lead to death. And we choose to live victoriously through your Spirit's help. And so God, we just invite you in to bring healing to us. In Jesus' name. for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend because changed lives change lives.